Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is Day 50. Today we will be reading Book 12, Chapters 11-15 through 15 in the Ascension edition of the book. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast, Godsplaining. There you'll find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org. Okay, before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. So again, Book 12, we're thinking about verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1. And St. Augustine is using some of his Neoplatonic philosophy in order to understand both the act of creation and then the reality of creation, how it relates to God. Here he's going to talk a lot about the heaven of heavens. So basically in his understanding, there's two senses in which we can say heaven. One is a kind of primordial creation, a kind of created wisdom, which itself is outside of time, which itself is immaterial, but which God kind of uses, as it were, in creation. Hard to describe, hard to understand. So he's going to work a lot on that. And you know, as we go forward, we're going to understand, too, that that other people think different things, and St. Augustine is going to work with those opinions um, so as to achieve some kind of synthesis while allowing a thousand flowers to bloom. So let's go ahead and get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work, too, may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapter 11. Already you have told me with a strong voice, O Lord, in my inner ear, that you are eternal, you who alone have immortality. For you can change neither in appearance nor by motion, nor does your will alter through the passage of time, since no will that varies is immortal. In your sight, this is clear to me, and let it be ever clearer to me, I beseech you, and in the manifestation of it, let me soberly abide under your wings. You have also told me with a strong voice, O Lord, in my inner ear, that you have made all natures and substances, which are not what you yourself are, yet they indeed still are. And likewise, you have said that the only thing that is not from you is that which has no being, as well as the motion of the will that turns away from you the one who is toward that which has being to a lesser degree, for such motion is transgression and sin. But no man's sin either hurts you or disturbs the order of your government from start to finish. In your sight this is clear to me. And may it be ever clearer to me, I beseech you, and in the manifestation of it let me soberly abide under your wings. You have also told me with a strong voice in my inner ear that a creature whose happiness is in you alone and who draws its nourishment from you with a most persevering purity in no place and at no time asserting its natural mutability, nonetheless is not coeternal with you. And with you yourself ever present to it, you for whom it holds itself with all its affection, having neither future to expect nor conveying into the past what it remembers, it is neither altered by any change nor distended into any time. O blessed creature, if such a creature exists, cleaving to your blessedness, 
Blessed is it in you who eternally dwell with it and are its enlightener. I can think of nothing else that I would more readily call the heaven of heavens that is the Lord's than your dwelling place, contemplating your delights without experiencing any failure by going forth to another, a pure mind, most harmoniously one in that stable peace of holy spirits, citizens of your city and heavenly places that are far above those heavens that we see. By this may the soul whose pilgrimage has become long and distant understand that if she now thirsts for you, if her tears are now her bread, while she is daily asked, where is your God? If she now seeks only one thing from you and desires it, namely that she may dwell in your house all the days of her life. And what is her life if not you? And what are your days if not your eternity, like your years, which do not fail because you are ever the same? By this, therefore, may the soul that is able to do so understand how far you are above all times and are eternal. For your dwelling, which at no time departed to a distant land, even though it is not co-eternal with you, nonetheless, by continually and unfailingly clinging to you, suffers no change in time. This is clear to me in your sight, and may it be ever clearer to me, I beseech you, and in the manifestation of it let me soberly abide under your wings. And behold, there is untold formlessness in those changes in these last and lowest creatures. Who shall tell me, unless it be the man who, through the emptiness of his own heart, marvels and allows himself to be tossed back and forth amid his own fancies? Who but such a man would tell me that if all figures were so shrunken and eliminated, that such formlessness alone would remain, through which a thing was changed and altered from one figure to another, that it could exhibit temporal change? For plainly it could not, for without variety of motions there are no times, and there is no variety where there is no figure. Chapter 12 I have considered these things as far as you, O my God, have given me to do so, as far as you have stirred me up to knock, and as far as you have opened in response to this knocking. Thus I find that you have made two things that are not within the compass of time, neither of which is co-eternal with you. One is so formed that, although it is changeable, it is not changed, ceaselessly taken up in contemplation, and not undergoing any interval of change, thus thoroughly enjoying your eternity and changelessness. The other was so formless that it had nothing that could be changed from one form to another, whether from motion or rest, so as to become subject to time. But you did not leave the latter formless, for before all days, you in the beginning did create heaven and earth, the two things that I have spoken of. But the earth was invisible and formless, and darkness was above the depths. In these words, we hear of such formlessness, so that men's capacities may be thus led step by step, unable to conceive of an utter privation of all form that would not ultimately be nothing at all. Out of this, another heaven was then created, together with a visible and well-formed earth, and the beautiful waters, and whatever else in the formation of the world has been recorded to have been created, not without days, because they are of such a nature that the successive changes of times may take place in them, since they are subject to the appointed alterations of motion and form. Chapter 13. Thus, O my God, this is what I conceive when I hear your scripture saying, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, without mentioning the day upon which you created them. And this is what I conceive, the heaven of heavens, that intellectual heaven whose intelligences know all at once, not in part, not in a glass darkly, but as a whole, in manifestation face to face, not one thing now and another later, but, as I said, know all at once, without any succession of times, and the invisible and formless earth, without any temporal succession, which presents one thing now, another later, for where there is no form, there is no distinction of things. 
And it is, therefore, because of these two, one from the start wholly formed and the other utterly formless, the one heaven, yes, but heaven of the heavens, and the other earth, though earth invisible and without form. Because of these two, I conceive that your scripture said, without mention of days, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. For it immediately then says what earth it speaks of. And also, because it is said that the firmament was created on the second day and called heaven, it tells us which heaven he spoke of before, without any mention of days. Chapter 14. How wondrous is the depth of your words! Behold, their surface stands before our gaze, inviting little ones to look upon them, and yet their depth is wondrous. Oh my God, how wondrous this depth! It is awesome to look upon it, with an awe that gives you honor and the trembling of love. With great vigor do I hate its enemies. Oh, that you would slay them with your two-edged sword, so that they might no longer be its enemies. For so do I love them, that I would have them slain from themselves, so that they might live for you. But behold, there are others, not seeking to find fault with the book of Genesis, but to praise it, who say, The Spirit of God who wrote these things by the hand of his servant Moses would not have wished for all of this to be drawn from these words. He would not have it understood as you propose, but in a different manner as we interpret the words. I will answer them with you, O God of all, as the judge. Chapter 15 Will you affirm it to be false, that which the truth tells me with a strong voice in my inner ear, concerning the eternity of the Creator, that his substance is in no way changed by time, nor his will separate from his substance? Thus, he does not will one thing now and something else later on. No, he wills once and at once and always everything that he wills, not again and again, nor now this, now that. Nor does he will later on something he had not willed before, nor does he now not will what before he had willed. For such a will would be changeable, but no changeable thing is eternal as is our God. Again, he tells me in my inner ear that the expectation of future things stands before our gaze when they come to pass, and this sight before our gaze becomes memory when they are past. Now, all thought that thus varies is changeable, and no changeable thing is eternal, yet our God is eternal. These things I infer and put together. Thus, I find that my God, the eternal God, did not make any creature following upon any new act of willing, nor can anything transitory be attributed to his knowledge. What will you say then, O you who speak against my interpretation? Have I here said something false? No, they will say. But what then? Is it false that every nature already formed and matter capable of form can only be from him who is supremely good because he supremely is? Neither do we deny this, they will say. What then? Do you deny that there is a certain sublime creature clinging with so chaste a love unto the true and truly eternal God, that although it is not co-eternal with him, it nonetheless is not separated from him, nor dissolved into the variety and vicissitude of time, but instead rests in the truest contemplation of him alone? For you, O God, show yourself unto him who loves you as much as you command, and you suffice for him. Thus he does not turn away from you, nor toward himself." This is the house of God, not of earthly form, nor of celestial yet bodily bulk, but instead spiritual, and a partaker in your eternity, because it forever will not turn from you. For you have established it forever and ever, and you have given it a law that shall not pass. Yet it is not co-eternal with you, O God, because it is not without a beginning, for it was made. For although we find no time before it, for wisdom was created before all things, it is not that wisdom that is altogether equal and co-eternal to you, our God, his Father, him by whom all things were created, and in whom, as the beginning, you created heaven and earth. Rather, it is created wisdom, that is, an intellectual nature, which by contemplating the light is itself light. For this, although created, is also called wisdom. 
But just as great as the differences between the light that enlightens and the light that is received by that which is enlightened, so much is the difference between the wisdom that creates and that which was created in wisdom, and so too between the righteousness that justifies and the righteousness that is brought about through justification. For we also are called your righteousness. For so has your servant said, quote, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, end quote. Therefore, since a kind of created wisdom was created before all things, the rational and intellectual mind of that chaste city of yours, our mother that is above, is free and eternal in the heavens. In what heavens, if not in those that praise you, the heaven of heavens? For this is also the heaven of heavens for the Lord. But although we find no time before it, because that which was created before all things also precedes the creation of time, nonetheless, the eternity of the creator himself is before it, him by whom it was created and from whom it took its beginning, not indeed in time, for time itself did not yet exist, but in its creation. Hence, it is so much from you, our God, as to be altogether other than you and not the self-same. For although we do not find time before it or even in it, for it is suited to behold your face always and is never drawn away from it, thereby never experiencing any variation through change, nonetheless it does possess the potential for change, which would lead it to become dark and chill were it not for the fact that by its strong affection it clings unto you like perpetual noon, thereby radiating and glowing from you. O house most bright and beautiful, I have loved your beauty and the place where the glory of my Lord, your builder and possessor, dwells. Let my wayfaring soul sigh for you and beseech him that made you to take possession of me also in you, seeing that he likewise has made me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep, but upon the shoulders of my shepherd, he who is your builder, I am filled with hope that I will be brought back to you. What therefore do you say to me, O you who speak in opposition to my interpretation, you who do believe that Moses was the holy servant of God and that his books are the oracles of the Holy Ghost? Is not this the house of God, not indeed co-eternal with God, yet, according to its own measure, eternal in the heavens? And do you not look for temporal change in vain there, for you will not find it? For this house, where it is forever good to cling to God, surpasses all temporal distension and all the turning revolutions of time. And they will respond to me, yes, it is true. But then what about everything my heart shouted unto my God when it inwardly heard the voice of his praise? What part of that do you hold as false? Is it that matter was formless, lacking all order because it had no form? But where there was no order, there could be no temporal alteration. And yet, this almost nothing, inasmuch as it was not altogether nothing, was certainly from him, from whom whatsoever has being is, in whatsoever degree it has being. This too, they will say, we do not deny. Okay, so I think that in this particular section from which we just read in these chapters, St. Augustine repeats a couple times that God speaks to him in his inner ear, which I think is a very charming translation, but we get the sense that there's a more intimate form of address or a more intimate mode of revelation that's at work here. So St. Augustine is very desirous of understanding the Lord's mysteries. He wants to be in living contact with those mysteries. He even says that he wants to abide under the shadow of the Lord's wings, which is beautiful. So I think that that's a great disposition with which we ourselves can approach this text of St. Augustine, as it you know offers us or presents to us a particular vantage on sacred scripture. So here he's trying to reconcile God's unchanging nature with the change of creation. He's saying, you know, we can't hurt God. We can affirm that God makes all things except non-being and sin, or he says that act with which we turn away from God. And yet we have to account in some way, shape, or form for the fact that God decides to create, okay, which is wild. So, Father Jacob Bertrand, are there some, you know, philosophical principles or there's some ways that you approach this question that you think are helpful for explaining to people like, 
you know, in the setting of the parish or in the setting of a podcast so that we can get a better understanding for this doctrine of creation. Yeah, I think that there's kind of a disposition in our in our hearts and in our minds to think that we're kind of owed to exist. Like it's my right to exist. And because of that, that would color the way by which we think of God creating. And I don't mean that everybody is just thinking, it's my right, give me existence. But there's a sort of sense like I exist, so I should exist. Um, but it's just not the case, you know, like there is no should, there is no right, there is no being owed this. And I don't say that because we're like, you know, we should think of ourselves as pieces of junk or whatever, and it's just happenstance. But just to, to highlight the fact that that God creates, God gives us our existence simply out of a gratuitous gift, and he decides to do that out of an overflow and an abundance of his love, a desire to manifest and glorify his holiness, who he is, but also to invite to share into that. So there shouldn't be a sense at the start when we talk about creation of a sort of, well, I'm here and God's here, and there's some kind of co-equality between so how does that work it's not that at all that's like sort of the height of pride the fall of of lucifer kind of creeping in in some way so what that means then for us i think it's easier to talk about and where i think we're going to talk about a bit you know what it means to be a creature we've talked about time we've talked about memory you know how we exist in these things we can at least have an experience of them what it means for god is a little little harder to work out and i think brother gregory you pointed out um and you have pointed out that we can say things about god more easily in the sense of what he's not rather than what he is you know god is he doesn't change you know so he's unchangeable he's eternal you're in it. but it's easier to say that he's not changing and have a concept of that than it is to like have a, a thorough concept of what it means to be you know, eternal and perfect. So I think those are some starting places and some things that we can kind of begin to like chew on and ruminate on. But we've talked to about this, this sort of dose of humility, this proper stance. We talked in a previous episode about, you know, being on our knees as we study and as we pray to, to know. So I think that's an important point reality. Yeah. So as we set out to understand God and his creation more perfectly, we can set up some guardrails or set up some bounds within which to ponder the issue. So we know, for instance, that you know God is himself unchanging, because if he were to change, he would be getting better, and then he wouldn't be God, or he's getting worse, and then he would no longer be God, neither of which are admissible. Uh, so God doesn't change, and yet God provides for change, right? So he creates, which is like a change, right? Insofar as God makes something to be, which formerly was not, all right? So from nothing, ex nihilo, he creates. And all things look to him for their being and for their acting, not just at the moment of their creation or at their moment of their coming to be, but at, throughout the entirety of their lives or throughout the course of their existence. And that God can provide for change within his creation without himself changing. So like, for instance, you might look at the God of the Old Testament and think he's doing some stuff. And then you think of like Jesus Christ in the New Testament and think, you know, he's doing some other stuff. How do we account for that? Well, God can adapt his, his dealings with men in accord with their state. So, you know, Israel, the people of God are at a certain point in the Old Testament, and God is engaging with them in such a way as to, to bring them along, to prepare them for the welcoming of the Savior, the welcoming of the Messiah. And then our Lord Jesus Christ provides us with the fullness of revelation. So he gives us everything that we need, and we'll talk about public revelation uh, kind of ends with the death of the last apostle. And so there's, there's a kind of clarity to his teaching. There's a kind of, what will one say, a sublimity to his teaching. And God can provide for that transition among his people in the people of God because it's for our growth, because it's for our healing. So we can affirm all of these things, and St. Augustine does. And still, 
He thinks that every detail matters. So it's worth pondering every detail. There's no insignificant word. There's no kind of crumb, as it were, of the word of God, which should be left or should be let or permitted to fall off the table of the word. So then we're reckoning here with the heaven of heavens, uh, which we introduced in our last episode. And he's going to describe how the heaven of heavens is like an aspect of the heavens and it's different from the earth. And a lot of people say a lot of different things, but regardless, it's worth our our thinking about it. So he's going to talk about the heaven of heavens as created yet unchanging. He's going to talk about it as like the house of God, or he's going to talk about it as a kind of creative principle, as it were. So I don't know. Yeah, Father Jacob Bertrand, I found this section super confusing, super difficult. I'm not well versed in Neoplatonic philosophy. I don't know if there are particular gems or particular things that you were able to isolate uh, that you think might be helpful to us, helpful to the reader. Yeah, I, I, I'm i with you at this point of, you know, not being expert in Neoplatonic philosophy or in St. Augustine here, you know. So as we've been saying, like there's a lot to bite off here and just going on the journey with Augustine is, is good enough. For me, the thing that I'm taking away is are, are two. One is the vastness of God, you know, and and his hand and, and work and creation um, that as a sort of point of like, you know, we experience part of God's exist, uh, creation in our own existence, but God and what he does and who he is is so much more vast than like my my personal experience of creation in this time-bound reality and the time in which I've come into existence and that sort of thing. So it kind of, for me, it kind of, it engenders a sort of fear of the Lord and being awestruck before creation that I realize that's not a sort of sifting of the details of what St. Augustine is or a sort of comprehension of everything that he's saying. And um, I'm not sure that's a necessary thing for our reading of the confessions in this sort of way, but I do think that it gives, at least in my mind, a sort of situating the reality of what St. Augustine is. It kind of puts me, as I read, as I listen, it puts me in the conversation as as a listener, not necessarily as like an, an interlocutor of the conversation. So I think for me, it's much more kind of soaking up and recognizing, okay, here's the reality of God's creation. Here's some principles of God's creation. As we've talked about, he creates ex nihilo out of nothing. He exists out of time. He brings into creation all things out of a desire, out of for love to share, to manifest his glory, to share his life with us. At some point, that's kind of enough to drink in, and that's enough to soak in, and that's enough to be to be brought into. Again, not saying that we can't know more, but it's it's kind of a question of, you know, how long do we sit with something, and do we want to dedicate forty years of our lives to a few lines, which is great, and people do, or but that's not where I am right now. Yeah, no, I I tried. Well, regardless, not too terribly important. Our uh, co-host on God's Planning, Father Bonaventure, took a course in Neoplatonism. And uh, in preparation for his PHL comps, we read a bunch of platonic dialogues together. No, I think it was in anticipation of the fact that he was teaching a class at Providence College called The Wisdom of Socrates. So I feel like everything that I know about philosophy at this stage of the game is just downstream of Father Bonaventure's more coherent thoughts. But like, from what I understand, there's a kind of attempt on the part of the Neoplatonist philosophers to account for creation as emanating from God without having to introduce overly complex considerations of like, God does this, and then God does that, or God chooses this, and then God wills that. And so you have like the principle, and then a secondary principle, 
like the one, the dyad, for those of you who are still listening and have not entirely thrown up your hands. And then there's a kind of interaction, as it were, which accounts for the creation which flows from. And I think that what you see here with St. Augustine is, is a kind of attempt to make sense of our uh, creation narrative that we have in Genesis by similar principles. And so he has it in his mind that maybe this heaven of heavens is a kind of created wisdom or a creation in the realm of intellect that participates in God's eternity in a more intimate way or direct way so that we can then think about it as a principle whereby we end you know, with the creation that we find here, which is cool, which is an interesting thing. But just so you know, listener, this is this is speculative theology. So this is the theologian setting his mind, you know, on, on the text of sacred scripture, employing the tools that he has in his toolbox and trying to make some sense of it, which is something that we can all do at a certain level. Like we are all theologians in some sense, insofar as we have faith and insofar as we reason upon our faith. The point is not to arrive at these kind of like wild and fancy theories. The point is to come to know our Lord Jesus Christ, who offers himself to us, not necessarily for our comprehension, because we can never comprehend the incomprehensible God, but we can know something of him, right? We can know it with a certainty because he offers himself to be known and to be loved. And this is, you know, kind of the spirit with which St. Augustine concludes. He'll say things like, how wondrous the depth of your words, you know, um, you know, the depth of them that, you know, it's like he cries out the depth of, of sacred scripture and how we can sound its depths, we can plunge into its depths and and not come away dissatisfied or not come away sated, you know, or whatever, saying to ourselves, yeah, that was that was basically fine. I don't know that I need to go back to that well anytime soon. No, it's we can always go back. So any final thoughts or any final encouragements? I like to think of this time in these books with and these chapters with St. Augustine as a journeying behind, of being kind of led by the hand. I thought of um, Dante's um, Divine Comedy, you know, he's led through by hand from hell, purgatory to heaven. Not that this is a hell or a purgatory, but that we're kind of led through by the hand. St. Augustine takes us on his speculative journey up to God. And yeah, we kind of go with, so going with and there's kind of a, a beauty to behold as as just sort of an observer at times too boom all right so let's continue to journey together we are making our way and we're on the home stretch in track terms so that means the last quarter of a race around the track well it depends on how many laps we did but we're not going to tell you how many laps well you'll come to discover okay we're just going to conclude no of our prayers for you please pray for us and we'll catch you next time on catholic classics <laughs>